So we are uh, on week three of the Red Letter Challenge. We started this a couple weeks ago as we, again, have committed to, uh, to studying the, the red letters of our Bibles. And again, not all Bibles have red letters in them, but a lot of them do. It, it, was, it was a trend that started in about 1900 with them publishing Bibles. And again, the intent of the red letters was to show how central Christ is in Scripture. And so again, that idea was just that any time that Jesus speaks, anything that he comes out of his mouth is then printed in red, right? When the rest is black. So it stands out. Okay, now if you have a Bible that's not a red letter Bible, that's okay. I mean, it's the same words, right? It's, it's the same teachings. Um, but again, you just don't see it jump off the page in red, right? In the same way as a red letter Bible. But as we've been studying the words of Jesus, and, and we started here just a, a few weeks ago with, this intro of, of what does, what's the red letter part, right, is the words of Jesus, and what is the challenge part? The challenge part is that we will actually do what Jesus tells us to do. Okay, and on week one, as we looked at that, I realized that the teachings of Jesus can be summarized into five different kind of categories or areas of our life, or, or targets that Jesus tells us to shoot at. Right? And, and we, if, remember, we saw that if, if we're shooting at the wrong target, then our effort is worthless. And so Jesus gives us these different targets to shoot at. And, and last week, we looked at the first main target of Jesus' teaching, and that is being with Jesus, being a follower of him, being a child of God. It starts with us receiving Christ as our Savior when we open our lives to him. Right? And, and ask him to come into our lives and we receive our salvation and our forgiveness and grace and mercy from him, then when we receive him and become a follower of Jesus, our identity is changed from his creation to his child. And then we start a new journey of faith at that moment as God's child and say, now what does that look like and how does that play out in my life? And, and, but it starts with us being with Jesus. And we, we looked last week at, at this interaction between Mary and Martha and saw how, you know, um, again, Martha was more of a doer than a, and a beer with Jesus. And, and where Mary was a lot better at just sitting at Jesus' feet and just, just learning from him and, and, and taking in everything that he gave. And, and as we saw the words of Jesus there, as he tells Martha, like, Mary has found a more important thing. And for most of us, though, we are better at doing than we are at being. And it's easy to even start out right, but then we get off track. The more we do, the more we tend to lose focus of being with Jesus. And if we go down that road too far, then we go down the road towards burnout and towards frustration and towards, again, forgetting our true identity as God's child and even why we do all the things that we do for Jesus. So we started with being. And now today we're moving on to forgiving, and, and this forgiving target is one that's really kind of the transition. It, it has a lot of being attributes to it, as well as some doing attributes to forgiving. And we're going to jump into that one today. But then after today, the last three are a lot more doing type of things that Jesus gives us to shoot out in our life. And that is serving, giving, and then going. And those are the, the next three we're going to look at through the next weeks. But today, like I said, we are focusing on the second one, which is forgiving. And as, as we look at, at all five of these things, these are all central to our faith. And yet, obviously our faith starts with being with Jesus. That's how we join the journey. We receive him as our savior, right? We believe that he was sent here by God the Father. He lived us in this life. He died on the cross, rose again on the third day so that we could be saved. And, and that is our being part. And now today we move to forgiving. 
And as we start with this idea of forgiveness, okay, we're going to start this morning with the big idea. Okay, and the big idea of today okay, is that forgiveness is the linchpin of our faith. Okay, forgiveness is the linchpin of our faith. And what, what do I mean by that? I know I'm saying, first off, is that our faith starts with forgiveness, right? We have to receive forgiveness from Christ to be, as we confess our sins and believe in him, right? Then we have to receive forgiveness for our sins. That's how we're saved, right? By God's grace and mercy, we receive him as he enters our life. We invite him in and we receive forgiveness. And that's how, again, we join the journey of faith. So it starts with faith. Again, we, we, we can have faith in lots of things, but again, our faith doesn't change us until we get forgiven and, and transformed by the Holy Spirit. Right? So, so we start with forgiveness, but then after we receive forgiveness for the first time and are saved as, and become a follower of, of Jesus, a Christian, then we start a new journey. And that new journey is saying, how can I be more and more like Christ every day? How do I move forward in my faith? How do I grow and continue to be transformed by him? And I'll tell you, the key to us truly growing in our faith and moving forward in our journey is also forgiveness. There are so many things in our lives that, 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 that we have to give up and let God forgive and, and to be able to help us move forward in our faith. Okay, as we think about this, this big idea of forgiveness, there's, uh, I want to kind of illustrate this concept and how central it is in our lives. Think about your house. Okay, your house, what is the center of activity, the center of everything that happens in your house? When I think about my house and we think, uh, you know, our house is a very normal house is, uh, these days with the, the great room or like the kitchen and the dining room and the family room and kind of entered like it's all kind of in this one big huge room. And at the center of the room is our couch. Right now, this in the middle, right? And because in that we have a family room, I mean, everything points at the TV, right? And, and we see that. But like, as you come in, you cannot come into our house and not see our couch. It's this huge, like big, you know, um, sectional, right? Like right in the middle of everything, right? Everybody sees it. And yet it's also, it's the center of activity in our house, right? If somebody comes over, they sit on the couch, right? And we talk and, and or, you know, or we sit and we interact throughout all everything that's going on when we're just sitting and relaxing in our life. It's on the couch, right? And, and again, the couch looks great. You come in, you see it on the outside. It looks good. Right, but I, I hope that we're not the only ones, and I'm sure we're not, that, that when somebody comes over to our house, you just think, I hope they don't look under the couch. Right, because we, we understand that. It looks good on the outside. It, it's very functional. It's, you know, it, it's a central place where people come, and yet we don't want anybody else to look under it. Right now, today, just with this illustration, is I brought up this chair onto the stage today. This is a chair from my office, and one of the reasons I got this chair was because you see the outside of it, and it's one of those chairs that just, like, sucks you in, right? Like, you see this chair, like, and again, I'm not, like, I don't enjoy reading, but, like, I see this chair, I just want to kind of curl up in the chair and read a book, right? Like, like it's just, it's that inviting, it's that, it's that comfortable, it's, it's just saying, like, it looks great on the outside, it's saying just, just, just curl up in this chair, Right, yet yeah, when we see, though, is that it looks great on the outside, and it is comfortable, and, and, and there's all these great things about it, but yet, right, there's more to this chair than what we can see on the outside. Okay, just like our couches at home, right, just like we see that, there, there's some more under the surface. If we peel back the surface of this chair, there's more going on. Right, in fact, there's, there's lots of things 
under the cushion of this chair, right? There's, um, we, we can see there's, there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, what, how did a shirt for the, the next national champion of football happen in this shirt? I don't, I don't know. There's like, but there, I mean, there's, as you see, we open it, there's all kinds of, there's crumbs and a, a diaper. That's a big part of my life right now. But it, the, you know, we, we all want to eat well, right? But yet we know we don't always, right? Like there, there's, you know, we always find some money, right? Some different things coming out. There's, there, there's all kinds of things that can come out of the cushion of our couch. Okay, and when we look at about this idea that forgiveness is a linchpin of our faith, and I will say is when we look at what's under the cushions of our life, those are the parts that we hide from people and that we tend to hide from Jesus. Right, and when we go in our faith, we look at that and think, God, come into my life, right? Like, like I'll show you all of the good stuff about me, all the things that I'm proud of, all the things that, that, you know, can come in, they can see the couch or the chair of our life. And yet, Jesus looks at us and says, I'm going to peel back the cushion. Because what I want to really help you with is lying in those parts you don't want to show anybody. Right, and we, we live this out very well, right? We, we, we post things on social media just like the outside of the couch, right? And we show everybody what we want them to see. And yet, we're constantly even going through life thinking, just don't look under the cushions, right? And we have all of these, even these stains in our life because what happens if you stay in the cushion of your couch? What do we do? You just flip it over, right? And you put it back. We're like, okay, it looks good now on the outside and nobody has to know, right? And yet the, the, the forgiveness that Jesus offers us, that, that, that is the linchpin of our faith is when, is when Jesus looks at us and says, hey, for you to go deeper in your faith, for you to go where I need you to go, I need to peel back the cushions of your life. Hey, and as, as we see this concept, this, this intention of Jesus this morning, we're going to read from John chapter 7, verses 53 through chapter 8, verses 11. So if you have your Bible with you, open up with me to John 7, 53 through 8, 11. If you don't have your own Bible, there are Bibles that you're welcome to use in the seats. You can grab one of those and notice to get on the outline as the page numbers where you can find this passage in those Bibles. Okay, but as we open up God's word this morning and see, again, this interaction that Jesus has with a few different groups of people today. Okay, and let's be thinking about, again, is Jesus peeling back the cushions of our life? Okay, we're going to pick up this story. John Chapter 7, verse 53, we're going to read through 8, 11, where it says, Then the meeting broke up, and everybody went home. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. And a crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? Okay, they were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and wrote, in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. 
Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Okay, now as we read this story, this, this interaction of Jesus with these Pharisees and religious leaders, as well as with this woman, okay, there's, uh, there's lots of things going on in this story. Okay, first again, we see the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they, they had set up this trap for Jesus. In fact, the the text tells us their motivation. That was exactly what they were trying to do. They were trying to corner Jesus into a situation that they could could get him. right? Because Jesus was taking their world, taking everything that they stood for and that they enjoyed, and was turning it upside down. He was changing the entire religious landscape of the time with the claims that he was making. And that's exactly what Jesus was supposed to be doing, by the way. Right, but they didn't like that. They were looking for a way to get rid of Jesus, to get him off of the scene, to handle this problem they had in the person of Jesus. And they set up this trap for him. Okay, now obviously the woman was the pawn in this setup. Okay, so they set her up as much as they set up Jesus. Right, they, they, they got her into this situation, right? They, they catch her in the act of adultery, and then they, they drag her out of that and throw her down at the feet of Jesus and say, now what are we going to do with her? Because this is what the law says. Now the law says, if you're caught in the act of adultery, that you can be stoned. Now what stoned means is literally you are put to death. Okay, but again, not like capital punishment today, right, where the way we do it, the way they did it was they literally did what it sounds like. They would take stones and they would surround you with a whole bunch of people with a bunch of rocks, and they would throw them at you until you are killed. Okay, that's what stoning is. Okay, now they come to him, and they tell Jesus that, hey, the law of Moses says we are to stone her, and they are exactly right. That's exactly what the law of Moses says. In fact, it's the law that they're referring to is given in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 22. Okay, they are, they are exactly correct. That's exactly what the law says to do. However, okay, we start to see some of the situation because the law that's given in Deuteronomy says that both parties that are caught in the act of adultery are supposed to be stoned. And so we can already tell that there's something funny going on here because notice it's only the woman that is thrown and brought in front of Jesus. Okay, now you cannot commit the act of adultery by yourself. Right, so again, we can speculate all kinds of things. The text doesn't tell us all these different details, but obviously there was a guy involved in setting up this woman in order to set up Jesus. But the guy's not there. Which kind of makes me wonder if maybe one of the guys standing around the circle with a stone might have been that guy. Again, I don't know. It doesn't tell us that. Right, but we can speculate, right? They set up a trap. And as they set up the trap, again, Jesus knows the letter of the law. Okay, in fact, he, he says, he, he, he identifies that, right? He's like, yes, all right, good, that is the law. But then Jesus takes it a step further as he looks at them. and Because at first, right, he just he kneels down, he's just messing in the dirt, right? And, he, and he's, he's just trying to ignore them, right? And then as they kept pushing him, finally, he's like, okay, you're right, that's what the law says. And so then, then Jesus gives this, this statement, this standard. It says, whoever is without sin can throw the first stone. 
So again, he doesn't deny the law. He's like, that's exactly what the law says. But now suddenly Jesus is squirming out of the trap in the way that he reacts to them. Okay, and, and we see, again, Jesus interacts with a few different people in this story. The Pharisees and the religious leaders are group number one. Okay, now, the, the, the second interaction is with the woman, and we're going to get there in a second, but we're going to start with the Pharisees and religious leaders. Okay, because this was interaction number one with Jesus, was this group of people. And they, in this story, they are the people who want to keep up their appearances and preserve what they have. Okay, they're the people that say, just look at the outside of the chair. It looks great. Don't go any deeper. I want it to stay the way it is. I'm going to keep up appearances. Everything looks great. And don't you dare touch that cushion. Right? These are the Pharisees and religious leaders in this story. Now, as Jesus interacts with them, and he gives, gives, throws out this standard to them, saying, yes, we will fulfill the law exactly. However, if you have never sinned, then you can go ahead and throw that stone. Okay, and then Jesus kneels back down into the dirt and continues to do whatever he's doing with his finger in the dirt. Now again, the text doesn't tell us what he's doing. Right, and again, we can fill in the holes of the story. There's lots of good ideas out there, but, but the, the first lesson that they learn from Jesus and that we learn from Jesus in this interaction is that none of us can throw a stone. Okay, and Jesus says, he's like, yes, justice can be served, but, but when we serve justice, right, it's going to be given this way. Whoever has never sinned can throw a stone, and they realize that none of them can throw a stone. And we also realize none of us can throw a stone either. Because we all have some stuff under the cushions of our life that we don't want people to see. Right? And none of us can throw a stone. And again, they see that because notice nobody throws a stone. Right? They start to realize that and suddenly the trap gets turned. Jesus is really good at that, by the way. Right? And, and as we see that, right, we, uh, they learn the concept that Paul teaches us later in the book of Romans. Right? Romans 3.23 says, For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard." Right? None of them can throw a stone. None of us can throw a stone. We have all sinned. Right? We all need forgiveness in our life. And as we realize this, as they start to realize this, then they start to move on right, to the next thing. Realize, hey, I've got stuff under the cushions of my life I don't want you to see. That I don't want Jesus to see. And then Jesus continues on in this interaction right, as we learn Right, that, that, um, that Jesus has things in our life that he wants to address. Jesus had things in their life that he wanted to address for them. We all have stuff in our lives that God wants to address. Right, Jesus looks at us and says, hey, forgiveness is the linchpin of your faith. Let me pop open that, let's throw the cushion off the couch, and let's just start dealing with whatever's under there. And yet we all have things in our life that God wants to address. Okay, and Jesus, again, looks to them and says, hey, I want to address some stuff in your life, not just in this lady's life, but also in yours, because none of you can throw a stone, and I know that. Right, but Jesus, again, is inviting them into something in this moment. Right, now again, like I said, it's, it's fascinating what the Word of God tells us, and sometimes it's just as fascinating what it doesn't tell us. 
Okay, we have to be very careful as students of God's word to not put things in there that aren't in there. Okay, now again, what's one of the details of this story that's not in there is what Jesus was writing in the dirt. Okay, now there's been lots of speculations by Bible scholars and by, by Christians over the ages about what was Jesus doing in the dirt. Right now, there's lots of different theories. Like what, one of the theories is just he wasn't doing anything. He was just doodling, drawing stick figures, doing something just to buy time and cut the tension in this situation. Right, that he was just down in the dirt, just to be in the dirt, and just it really didn't mean anything about what he was doing. He was just doodling, buying time for them to either react or or whatever they were going to do. Okay, and another theory, right, is that Jesus was was writing Bible verses or scriptures or other parts of the law, right? That because Jesus obviously knew scripture very well. The Pharisees and religious leaders knew scripture very well, right? In fact, most of them probably had it memorized. I mean, entire books of the Bible. And so again, the theory is that he was writing down verses or scriptures or passages that apply to the different things in their lives, right? But kind of the one that I liked the best, right, the theory that, that, that I, I just kind of hope is true, right, because I think it would just, I, I think it would be awesome, right, is that Jesus was literally writing down the Pharisees and religious leaders' names that were around the circle and then with a, a hyphen and then starts writing some of their sins, right, and, and again, he's like, again, Jesus is then very clearly being like, hey, guys, I know what's under the cushions of your life, I know you can't throw a stone. And again, I, I, don't, I don't know if that's true, right? But again, one of the things that shows whatever he was writing, right, show that what it does tell us is that the older ones started to peel away, right, all the way down to the younger ones. Right? And I, I don't know, maybe it just Jesus started with, you know, oldest first, right, and started on the list. And as soon as they saw their name, they're like, I'm out of here. I'm done. I, I, I can't do this. I, again, I don't know what he wrote in the dirt, but whatever he wrote, whatever he was doing, it was effective. Right? Because it showed them that Jesus wanted to forgive them, that they could not throw a stone. Right? And because, again, the, instead of experiencing the forgiveness that Jesus was even offering them, right? they, they didn't want that. In fact, they, they just left. Okay, that was the result of this interaction with Jesus, was that they turned their back and they walked away. Now again, we have, we have this choice to make whenever Jesus takes the cushions of our life and, and starts to expose what's under there. Right? Is, is we, we can make that choice. We also can turn our back on Jesus and walk away. Okay, now they, that's physically what they did. They literally just left. Right? And, and sometimes that's what we do, right? We, if, if Jesus gets too close to the, to the core and the, the, the real things in our life and we literally just walk away and never go back to church, never go back or talk to somebody who follows him. Right? But what I think is more common is that we just turn our back in our heart and we just kind of shut off Jesus and be like, nope, don't go there, Jesus. That, that's off limits. Right? And we just, we close our mind, we close our heart, and we, we don't get the forgiveness that we need. And, the, and in, instead, we choose unforgiveness. Instead of experiencing forgiveness, we choose to stay in unforgiveness in those areas of our life we don't want to show anyone. And the truth is that unforgiveness holds us back. Forgiveness is the linchpin of our faith. 
But another statement of Jesus in, in John 8, 31 and 32, and Jesus says to the people who believe in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's exactly what forgiveness does. It sets us free from whatever's under the cushions of our life. Right? And that's what Jesus is inviting us into when he offers us forgiveness. Not just forgiveness at our salvation point, but as we move forward, as we continue to grow in our faith, right? as, he, as he peels back the cushions of our life and says, I'm going to deal with whatever's under there. And yet we can make that choice. We can t- turn our back on forgiveness, and we can walk away from Jesus. Or we can have a different interaction with Jesus. And that's what we see, which is interaction number two in this story, and that is with with the woman. Okay, interaction number two with Jesus is when literally this woman ends up face-to-face with Jesus and experiences things that she never experienced before. Okay, and we have that choice as well. We can either turn our back on Jesus as he exposes those things in our life, or we can just look face-to-face with Jesus and experience things that we have never experienced before. And that is what Jesus describes when he says, you will be set free. Right? You can experience something you've never experienced before. Right? And that's exactly what happened with this woman in the story. And remember, she was not looking for Jesus. She didn't get up that day pursuing him. She got up with a very different intention for that day. And yet she was thrust into this situation. She ended up face-to-face with Jesus by accident. And and in in an incredibly public way. There was no hiding from what happened here. Right? She was thrust out of this situation. She was thrown to the feet of Jesus, into the dirt and the dust, in front of him, with everything exposed. Right? The cushion of her life was thrown off by somebody else, and it was all laying bare on the ground for everyone to see. She wasn't looking for Jesus at all, but yet she ended up face-to-face with Jesus. And she experienced things that she likely had never experienced before from Jesus. Again, I will tell you, no matter how you end up at the feet of Jesus, you can experience things you've never experienced before. Okay, what did she experience at the feet of Jesus? Okay, the first thing um, that we see, and again, we see this, this interaction between her and Jesus in these last two verses of the passage. Okay, verses 10 and 11. It says, Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said, and and then neither do I. Jesus says, go and sin no more. Again, as we see this interaction, as she ends up face-to-face with Jesus, what did she experience? Okay, first off is, is the thing that stands out to me first is, is her response to Jesus. Okay, Jesus stands up. He kind of looks around. He's like, wow, where'd they all go? Shocker, they're not here. Right? And he's like, then he looks at her and he asks her the question and look at her response. I mean, she answers his question. She says, no, none of them condemned me. But notice how did she address Jesus? She said, no, Lord. Why would she address Jesus that way? She wasn't looking for Jesus. 
She didn't choose this. Right? She addresses him as Lord because of what she felt from Jesus that she'd never felt before. But again, why did Jesus get down into the dirt multiple times throughout this interaction? Because she was lying in the dirt. Right? And she had felt love from Jesus throughout this interaction. Right? Now, what he was writing or what he wasn't writing or whatever, that doesn't necessarily matter as much right now in this moment because to her, she wasn't focused on what he was writing. She was focused on the eyes of Jesus as she literally, as he gets down in the dirt with her and is looking face to face with this woman and she felt something in his eyes and from his, his demeanor that she had never felt before. And that was love. Right? She, she, as she interacts with him, again, he got in the dirt with her. And that changed her. Right? And it changed her to where the fact she got so quickly to the point where she calls Jesus Lord. That you don't call somebody Lord without being changed or having that respect for them. Because she felt love from Jesus that she'd never felt before. Right? And then we see here, uh, again, what's Jesus' response when he's like, wow, they're all gone? Right? None of them condemn you? And she says, no, Lord, they didn't. Right? And then what, what's the next thing that Jesus says? Jesus says, neither do I. Because guess what? There was one person in that crowd that could have thrown a stone, rightfully thrown a stone at her. And that person was Jesus. Because what standard did he give? Who, whoever's without sin can throw the stone. Guess what? There was only one person in that crowd that was without sin, and that was Jesus. Right? And Jesus could have, rightfully, by the letter of the law, thrown the stone at her. But he didn't. He says, well, neither do I condemn you. Right? And in that moment, she receives forgiveness from Jesus. Again, something she had likely never felt before. And then, Jesus doesn't stop there. He gives her the grace and the mercy that she needed, that she had never felt before, and he gives her that. And then, he doesn't stop there, though, because there's one more thing she experiences from Jesus in this situation that she had never experienced before. And that is she receives, as given, a direction by Jesus. Now, where does she go from here? Right, as Jesus tells her, not only do I not condemn you, but now he says, go and sin no more. Right, he's saying, I'm giving you a new direction for your life. You've been forgiven from this. You are loved by me. Now, don't go back there. Right, he's saying, I've cleaned out what was under the cushions of your life. Now keep it clean. Right, and that's where the doing starts. Right, again, what, what's the result of this interaction with Jesus? Right, the result of the Pharisees and religious leaders was they turned their back and they walked away. What's the result of this woman with Jesus? Okay, the result of this interaction she has with Jesus gives us the key to forgiveness, and that is this. That if you can't let go of the past, you will never be able to grab a hold of the future. And that's what forgiveness does for us, is it lets us let go of the past so that we can embrace something new for the future. That we can start our life and our faith in a new direction. We can pursue something different. 
Right? And that's what Jesus invites us into when he forgives us. Because forgiveness is the linchpin of our faith. It's where our faith starts when we receive forgiveness for the first time from Jesus and are saved and, and, and our relationship is restored with our creator. And then we move in a new direction as we experience forgiveness as he cleans out the cushions of our life and says, it's forgiven, it's gone, don't go back there. Embrace something new. Go in a new direction. And when we do that, we, we need to, again, it, that is what's going to grow our faith. If we're able to let go of the past and move forward and to gr truly grow and experience something we've never experienced before. And a level of, of relationship with God that we've never experienced before. Okay, again, as we see that forgiveness to letting go of the past, there's two things that we need to embrace in forgiveness in order to truly move forward. Okay, the first one is we need to forgive myself. In fact, when you think about this, this is most, for most of us, for us normal people, this is the hardest one. I forgive someone else, but can I forgive myself? But it's so important. Again, the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5, he, Jesus tells, he says, why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log on your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Now again, I mean, Jesus calls us a hypocrite if we don't deal with our own stuff first. Right, which is one of the kind of worldly reputations of Christians, by the way. which is one that we need to change, right? And how do we do We change that by forgiving ourselves and living in it for, for that forgiveness that God offers, right? Taking care of what's, oh, whatever's under the cushions of your life that you don't want anybody to see. Let God clean it out. Receive forgiveness for myself. Okay, and then as we, as we see that, as we move in a new direction and receive that forgiveness for myself, then the next step of forgiveness that's truly gonna move our faith forward is to forgive others. Because I'll tell you, there's nobody on the face of this planet that has not been wronged by someone. Okay, it doesn't have someone else that needs forgiveness, right, or that from you or that you need to get forgiveness from. Because you have wronged somebody and somebody has wronged you. That, that's the truth of our world. Right, and do we have forgiveness for other people? And we see Jesus speaks to this as well in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 24. Okay, where he says, You've heard that your ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say if you are even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. Uh-oh. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if, if, if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. So if you are presenting a sacrifice to the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person and then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Okay, what Jesus is telling us here, he's like, you know what, forgiveness for other people, it is so important. It is so important to your faith, so important to you being able to move forward that if you are there, if you're worshiping me and you, something comes to mind, says, hey, I got 
there's an issue with that person. I need to forgive them or I need to seek forgiveness from that person. He says, stop your worship. Go to that person, be reconciled to them, and then come back. Because then we can truly be connected and really grow. It's that important. Because forgiveness is the linchpin of our faith. Right? And Jesus is telling us, if you are harboring unforgiveness, it will hold you back. And again, we all have somebody we need to forgive, and we all have somebody we need to seek forgiveness from. Right? It is that important. So important that Jesus is like, you know what? I'd rather you just time out on your worship, go and take care of it, and then come back. It's that important. Because forgiveness is a linchpin of your faith. Right? And if we don't forgive, right, then we harbor unforgiveness. And when we harbor that unforgiveness for, towards someone else, right, it holds us back more than anything else will. And one of my favorite quotes when it comes to forgiveness is this, is unforgiveness is taking poison and expecting someone else to die. I, we harbor that unforgiveness because we feel like we're, we're, we're mad at them and we want to damage them. Right? But it doesn't damage them. It damages you. It holds your faith back. Forgiveness is the, truly the linchpin of our faith. And the key to that is, is again, letting God take care of our past so that we can move into our future. And as we think about this concept and, and digest all of this, realize that we all need forgiveness and we all need to do forgiveness. With that idea in mind, it brings to my final thought today, which is, comes out of Colossians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, which says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Forgiveness for myself and forgiveness for others. Right? Because we then can experience things from Jesus, a love from him, forgiveness from him, and direction towards where we're supposed to go. Forgiveness is the linchpin of your faith. Right? What do you need to forgive today? What do you need to receive forgiveness for? What do you need to give forgiveness for? As we conclude today, I don't, again, I don't know what's under the cushions of your life. But God does. Again, just like he invited the invitation he gave to that woman, he gives the same invitation to us. Right? Peel back the cushions of your life. Let Jesus in. And let him wash it clean. Lord God, we thank you, God, that you purchased our forgiveness with your blood. God, that we can receive forgiveness from you. God, even for the first time, and we get to join the journey of faith, God, and be washed clean. Lord, all of our sins forgiven. We thank you and praise you for that today. But God, I pray that as we continue to journey with you in our faith, as we move forward, as you start to reveal those different things that we're hiding under the cushions of our life, God, I pray that you would give us the courage to offer them up, to give them to you, to receive forgiveness. God, to give forgiveness to someone else if that's needed, to seek forgiveness from someone else if that's what's needed. God, I thank you that you get down in the dirt with us. Lord, you're not afraid of our messiness, but God, you want to forgive it. And we praise you for that today. 
God, whatever we have that we are holding on to, Lord, we give it to you. And Lord, as we go this week, I pray that we will move in a new direction. God, that we will be loved by you. We'll follow your direction, receive your forgiveness, God. And that's what the world needs to see in us is your love in action. God, as we go this week, Lord, help us, Lord, to, to give forgiveness, to see forgiveness, and to show the world forgiveness because you've forgiven us. God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. Guide us as we go this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.